Welcome back to the Planet Jesus Podcast, the show for skeptics and Christians who want to learn more about the Bible and understand better how to interpret and apply it. This is Episode 20, Busy, Not Busy Bodies. This episode of the Planet Jesus Podcast wraps up this four-part series on the Apostle Paul's concerns for how the people of God are seen by the world, seen as sowing goodness and light, not busy at being idle. Paul's instruction is to care about what the world thinks of us, because if there's no noticeable difference between the darkness and the light, why should anyone bother taking a second glance? Now, Rob Massey. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been referencing some of Paul's letters to Titus, to, to the Philippians, to the Romans. And I've been talking about how Paul was very, very concerned that this new creation people, this family of God, would be the kind of people that everyone wanted to be around. Both those on the inside and those on the outside of the community of faith would want to be part of this new creation people. And not just because they had a cool story about a king that was going to lead them, that died and resurrected from the dead and was exalted to heaven, and now all things are being set in order. They already had some of those stories. The Greeks already had some of those myths. And so that it wasn't all that, you know. That wasn't what was driving it. What people were seeing in that first century were the lives of people that they once knew totally transformed by some message of love. And where that message came from, they didn't know, but they were seeing it demonstrated. And so that's why Paul was so fervent to see that when there were anomalies of behavior within the church that were just not right, like the the bad Cretans of Titus 1, he wanted to encourage the right kind of behavior, and that's what Titus 3 is all about. And same with Romans 12. He's basically saying, like we covered last week, he's saying all these first 11 chapters is God dealing with the sin problem for both Jews and Gentiles. So what? What does that mean? What does that mean for the behaviors of the people of God? And those behaviors were very clearly spelled out that we covered last week in those passages from Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 12 had a had a renewed mind, and that renewed mind led to renewed behaviors. The conclusion is, is that everything that we do accomplish, everything begins here in the mind, and all of the possibilities, everything of the future starts right here. If I even get the idea about ice cream at, like, say, middle of the afternoon, by the time 8 o'clock rolls around that night, there's a bowl of ice cream in my hand. It's like, uh, as Brother Mears used to say, sow a thought, you know, reap an act, sow an act, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. You start to sow those thoughts and then life begins to, to take off. And every one of us today are living out the destiny of thought and what we believe to be true, and we're acting totally rationally, and then you think, well, no, then I'm just the almost unlucky person on the planet because this is my circumstances. Almost always, the circumstances that are around us 
can be attributed back to faulty thinking or positive thinking or good thinking. So we've got we to protect our minds. We've got to guard our minds. And that's what Paul was trying to do. I'm going to read here from 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, verses 6 through 12. And these are some of the most hardest verses in the New Testament. And I hate these kind. But because I have chosen to select passages randomly, you get the, you get the challenging passages and you get the good passages. So here it is. Uh, this is again, I read this from this one last week, but I, lo- I loved it so much I'm reading it for and again. The Kingdom New Testament by Tom Wright, N.T. Wright. And here it is, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 12. Here is a command we have for you, my dear family. In the name of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, keep away from any member of the family who is stepping out of line and not behaving according to the tradition that you receive from us. You yourselves know, after all, how you should copy us. We didn't step out of line, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. We worked night and day with labor and struggle, so as not to place a burden on any of you. It wasn't that we didn't have the right. It was so that we could give you an example for you to copy us. And indeed, when we were with you, we gave you this command, those who won't work shouldn't eat. You see, we hear that there are some among you who are stepping out of line, behaving in an unruly fashion, not being busy with real work, but just busy bodies. To people like that, we give this commandment and exhortation in the Lord Jesus the Messiah. Do your own work in peace and eat your own bread. That's a pretty pretty direct comment. I think if I was ever to give that command, you know, to somebody, hey, Go, go make your own, go, go make your own money and pay for your own bread. I'd probably get some people offended at me. But here, what Paul is just adamant about, as the kingdom of God is just in its infancy, as new creation is is bursting forth, he's passionate to see that it's done in an ideal way, so that the people that are viewing from the outside can take note of it. This community, and when we start to talk about, well, why were there people who were idle, busybodies? And as we go through the ESV, you're going to see some different words that are used there about idleness and disruptive idleness and busybodies. And what was going on there? Why were these people, so to speak, not having anything to do and not working? Well, there's a couple of things. If you go back to Acts, the second chapter, through about the sixth chapter, and the formation of the church as it's exploding, there was this sense that the the return of the Lord was almost immediate. They were prepping for some sort of climax that Jesus had been exalted to heaven, and they were waiting for the culmination of everything. But what they ended up with is a, a long extended period of time, and the weeks became months, and the months became years, the years became decades, And then we start to get these letters being written to kind of encourage people about what to do. Because you remember in Acts 2, they started to have all things in common. They broke bread together and continued daily breaking bread. So many members, many of the new members of the kingdom of God, they were beneficiaries of at least a daily meal. And you might think, you're kidding me, man. 
they would just show up for a meal that, and, and that was a problem. You know what, why were they doing that? What every day showing up, getting food and, and going on to like a soup kitchen or something like that, what was going on? Well, if you know the financial and social demographics of the Roman Empire, 50% of the people that lived in the Roman Empire lived at below the poverty rate, uh, below the subsistence levels, 50%. And 25% of the people basically controlled all the wealth within that state. And there was probably 25 that were moving on up. You know, they were trying to take strides and they were making strides. And their status in those cultures was about doing favors for people above you who could then help pull you up. And so money, money and favors trickled up. But the most impoverished among them, which was 50% of the population and below, that was not the case. But in the kingdom of God, what was being exemplified in the first decades of the church was that people were sharing, they were selling extra properties, and they were giving that money to the church, and the church was then doling that out to people in need. And we see that with the Greek widows in the in the sixth chapter. We see in the fifth chapter the selling of properties and giving to the church. Through that whole passage, you see what's going on there. Well, apparently, this just kind of almost became a thing like, hey, we're just sitting here waiting for the second coming, battening down the hatches. Why, why get a job when this whole thing is going to finish up here any day? And Paul sent in a correction to that. He said, listen, you saw me. I'm working, toiling every day with my hands. You need to toil as well. And it wasn't so that the kingdom of God didn't have somebody who had needs. It was so that everybody who could contribute did contribute. And those that truly had need, because the resources were so scarce. When you think about 50% of the people below the poverty rate, you got to think about countries like Afghanistan, the Congo, Central uh, African Republic, Guatemala, Honduras, Haiti. These are nations, Albania. These are nations that are, have at least 50% of their people at the poverty rate. And when we think about those nations, we recognize them as being the most impoverished. So it was natural to see that there was an abundance of need in those communities, true need. And what Paul didn't want is the, the resources of the kingdom of God to be squandered in support of people who didn't really need it, that were just kind of freeloading and not just getting a free handout. The Greek words that are used here are words like working to be disruptive or just creating disruption while not working and taking a handout. Let's look at these in more detail. In the sixth verse, this command, this very strong command comes to them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's basically with all that he could muster without, without creating some sort of an oath to heaven. He's like, we command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this he's putting as much pressure on these folks as possible that you shun or keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness or disruptive idleness. It's idleness that leads to disruption. And you know, it's like too many Facebook posts. You, you know, that <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stay off Facebook. Okay. I won't go there, but uh, you know, you know who you are. Uh, if, when you're idle, you get a little extra time. 
And some of us have jobs that allow for it and others don't. This idleness can only occur in a community where people are being charitable. So you have this, the disruption is the fact that there are people that are being super charitable and there are others that are freeloading and that was not going to be accepted. This idea of walking in idleness is a euphemism, like how you live your life. Walking was the practice or your the way you live out your life. And they were living their life out in disruptive idleness. They were not walking with the tradition that they had received from Paul and the other disciples that were sent among them. Paul sent Timothy and and others into these areas to evangelize and to communicate the gospel. And while they were there, they labored. So not only did they get it from the words that Paul and the others were preaching, and the others with Paul were preaching, but they also received it through an example that was lived out in front of them. So they had received it from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. And it's like, how did they know Paul? Well, Paul was preaching and Paul was living it out before them. But if you go over to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, and look at, I love this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. See, the kingdom of God is structured in a way that creates an interdependence because at times we're all in need. We are all needing help and support. But in all areas of life, financial, emotional, just any way that we can provide support for somebody else, presence, just being there, not presence as in gifts, presence as in being with a person. When you're with somebody, that's a gift of support. And so when we're talking about the financial support, let's make that also all the other types of support that the people of God need. And particularly in America, very few people actually need a financial handout. Very few people in America today are living at that poverty level. It's amazing, and and it's fortunate for us to quote Ben Shapiro's title of Ben Shapiro's last book, The Right Side of History. We're not living in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was the best thing that they had, and they had 50% poverty. That's what Afghanistan produces. Today, here in the United States, we are so far above that. We have very small percentage of our population is below a subsistence level. But in that, we should not only have interdependence and express it, but we should seek to be dependent on no one. I remember the first time when Julie and I, we would, you know, when you first get married, sometimes you would fall on financial hard times, at least Julie and I did. And it became very easy if I needed an extra $1,000 or $500 or $200 to span me another, you know, through the week or something like that. I'd run to my mom and dad or I'd run to her mom and dad and I'd say, hey, could I borrow some money? And it came to a point 
And, and then I'd pay it back. You know, I, if the next paycheck I'd got, I'd pay them back. And I don't think that ever, I, you can ask my parents or my, my, my in-laws, if I've ever not paid them back, I don't think that's the case. I don't think I have any outstanding debts with them. But probably about 17, 18 years ago, I had a crisis that I had gotten myself into. And I knew it was just bad stewardship. And I could not bring myself to go and ask my parents or my in-laws for money. I took everything that I had of any kind of value and I went down to the pawn shop and I hawked that stuff and I paid my debts and then gradually got my stuff out of hawk. I don't recommend that. That's a, that's a way to lose money quick. But I, I have put myself in a bad situation and I swore at that point that I was going to live in such a way that I would never have to be dependent on anybody else. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't lose my job or there won't be a downturn in the economy and I won't have to go out and do that. And I might have to beg. I might ask to ask the church to help me out. That has happened probably to almost every family in this assembly. At one time during your career, you've had a need. And that may happen for me. But our purpose, the thing that we set in our mind should be this idea of be dependent on no one and to live properly to outsiders. I think anybody who says, oh, you know, I don't care what anybody outside thinks. We need to care what outsiders think. That's Paul's whole point. The only way that people are drawn to the kingdom of God is if outsiders believe that there's something of value, if it's a higher way of living, a a higher way of thinking. And when they see independent, contributing, both socially and emotionally and spiritually, they want to be part of those kind of communities. So let's come back over here. So that's how they know. For you yourselves know. And how did they know? They knew because God had told them, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians. And so... He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with the toil and labor. That combination of words there, toil and labor, means if these guys were to look at what we do, you know, me sitting behind a desk on conference calls all day, typing reports, creating PowerPoints, (laughs) Paul would have gone, no, so when do you get to work? When do you work? Because work was something physical. And then when you add the word toil to it, it meant that it was hard and physical. So Paul was working hard and physically day and night. That means continuously. He, didn't, he never stopped working. Not, not that he didn't sleep at night. I'm just saying the, the euphemism or the, the figure of speech, day and night, conveys the idea that they were always working. That we might not be a burden on any of you. See, and that's what, he's, that's what he's wanting from them. He's wanting them not to be a burden on anyone, but to be able to contribute to others. He said, it was not because we do not have the right. See, Paul was saying, I have the right to get compensated by you. And in, in, in 1 Corinthians, he, he talks about that. He says, many of the rest of the, the, the apostles, they're contributed to, they're paid for, people pay for them. But Paul was out on the fringe Paul was a, was a scout on the edge of the world, evangelizing the new creation experience. And so he had to model new creation to them in a way that would not be misunderstood. 
And the apostles that were working from the back in the synagogues and back in Jerusalem, they, there was a common idea of paid rabbis and, and paid synagogue leaders. So that was not, um, wouldn't be misunderstood, but out on the fringe. And some of us, we live in a more and more secular age all the time. And when the world gets more secular, it's very important. We're becoming, the fringe is coming to us. We live in the buckle of the Bible belt, so it doesn't feel like it. But believe you me, the fringe of secularism is coming to us. And it's only those who are prepared by living a life of light and grace and goodness to others. Those are the people that'll be drawn, that will draw those people that are, have fallen into secularism draw them back into a right way of thinking. And so it was not because they did not have the right. He had the right, but he chose not to take his rights, but to give you in ourselves an example or a model to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. See, let's not squander the resources that are are so rare. Now here in America... We don't have that problem. I, I don't take tithes and offerings at the church. I, I don't take tithes and offerings because I'm talking about not me personally. I'm saying I never have, have an offering. We used to play the band. The band would play. We would pass the pan and we'd collect money. We don't do that anymore. And it's because we live in an age of abundance. The needs are much lower than they've ever been. And so if the demand was there, we would ask for more. But in this time, when the resources were rare, then squandering those resources would have been an inappropriate action. But now we do have, just to that point, if we were talking about our time or our emotional support of someone else, that is the thing that we're giving. One of the things that we don't have of, the one of the things that we are deprived of in America, where money is the easy answer, that's the easy button, but, but time and personal involvement with another person, that's the challenge. That's a rub. And so for us to contribute our time to somebody else and give that very valuable time, it's important that we don't have anybody squandering that, taking valuable time from others. For we hear that some among you, there's some sort of a report that he'd received, walk in idleness. Not busy at work. That busy at work is one Greek word, and it means like you're, you're not working. And, and so there's a word play here. But busy body, that is working intrusively. So there was something that they were doing. Instead of working, they were working intrusively. They were creating a disturbance. In all areas of our life, in all areas of our communication, we should be seeking not to create a disturbance, but to create light and create goodness and uh, a sense of well-being. The world has will have plenty of dark sayings, plenty of dark humor, plenty of that. Let them do that. But in the kingdom of God, let our communication, no matter if it's social media, if it's personal, face-to-face, let it be all seasoned with grace and goodness. That's, a, that's an important, important thing. He says, No, now such persons we command you, He's not saying these guys are jerks, get rid of them. He's just saying, hey, such persons, basically saying, if this applies to you, if you've been squandering the valuable resources of the kingdom of God, please stop. He's saying, now, such persons, 
we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly. And that's like non-intrusively. It's all about the peace of the family. This is all about the family and how to behave within the family and how the family represents itself to uh, the people on the outside. We want to be a place of light and grace. Uh, To do their work quietly. To earn their own living. So, I hope that you are getting the concept that I've been talking about for the last three weeks, at least, maybe four, but at least three of the last four weeks. And then this week, I've been focused on our behaviors in the world because it's all about, you know, people go, I don't care how people perceive me. Well, first, that's probably not true because we all kind of care how people perceive us. Now, we can care less, and that's important because if we care too much, then we just, you know, we're just blown by every wind, every wind of opinion, then we're moved by it. But we do need to care. We do need to take thought about how we are representing the uh, new creation. What is that new world that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 58? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And you can sometimes feel that your labor is in vain. What if you are a tent maker like Paul or a construction worker or a computer guy or a nurse and, and you, you're so tied up in that that you think, oh, I can't minister I want to do this thing for the kingdom of God. I want to preach the word or I want to write more or I want to teach Sunday school, but I just don't have time with all this other stuff. God wants you to know that whatever work and labor that you give yourself to, it is all redeemable and part of the kingdom of God and the future. That whole 15th chapter is the consummation, the resurrection, and the summation of everything that we're hoping for. And when we reach that place, every labor that you've given yourself to will be rewarded. Every idleness will be taken, you know, of course, being noted. But God is looking. All those labors that you put, they contribute to the overall work of God. So enough of all that. Anyway, I just wanted you to pick up on this idea that In each of these areas of Titus, Philippians, Romans, and now here in 2 Thessalonians, we've been seeing Paul's concern for how the people of God are seen by the outside and how that family is to represent itself as new creation. So I hope that's helpful, and I um, look forward to any comments that you guys have. If there's any questions that you've had from the last four weeks on Christian living, let me know. All right. In today's busy world, time is valuable, and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some time listening to the Planet Jesus podcast. The show notes for this and all episodes, as well as links to any source material, can be found at our website, planetjesus.net. Become a part of the conversation on Facebook, at Planet Jesus Podcast, and on Twitter, at Planet Jesus and the number two. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with a friend. We would also value your honest rating and review. If you'd like to help defer some of the costs, please visit our Patreon account at patreon.com slash planetjesus. 
Planet Jesus podcast is a production of Rob Massey and edited by me, David L. White.